Hello, my name is Lauren Scully, and I would like to invite you to my tabletop. You probably have questions. What exactly is this thing I bumped into? Who is this person in my ears? How did you get in my phone? Who is that standing behind me? Well, I think the best place to start with these questions is to introduce myself. As I said before, my name is Lauren Scully, and this is an actual play role-playing game podcast hosted by me. I've been playing and running role-playing games for seven years, and one could say I've been around the block. My first role-playing game was Dungeons & Dragons 3.5 edition. I quickly moved on from this edition to play the ever-unpopular 4th edition of Dungeons & Dragons, through which I created my first tabletop. From 4th edition, I was introduced to the happy medium of Pathfinder, in which I spent a year playing with the second group. From Pathfinder, I graduated to Savage Worlds, where I spent a solid two or three years running this system alone. It was Justin Suzuki who introduced me to Tremulous and the Powered by the Apocalypse engine, now my favorite RPG. Later, I would also explore the likes of Fate, Dungeon Crawl Classics, The One Ring RPG, Traveler, Spycraft 3.0, Burning Wheel, Cosmic Patrol, and many others. It was two years ago that my good friend Carter Wilson asked me to run a game of 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons for him and a group of mostly mutual friends, and for the past two years I've been experimenting with the system. So... What exactly do I hope to achieve with this podcast? Well, this medium is the result of a few months of begging on the parts of my players, way too much McElroy content to sift through, and a background in theater. The idea of an actual play podcast has captivated me for years. However, it has only been recently that I have felt confident in the people I have, as well as my technical skills as a game master, to run such a thing. So here we are on session zero. get this party started um so i want to open up the podcast this is our first session um and i would like to just start off by introducing uh our players one by one um those of you who have worked with me before you'll probably recognize most of these people um but yeah so first off uh we have uh egan egan has been one of my longest players i think you've been around uh, for five years or something you were around when i was testing fate yeah yeah, I think that's about right. Uh, so, hi, Egan. Hi. Hi, Egan. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Egan McKay Walker. That's my full name. You can either call me Egan or McKay. I really don't care. Um, I use they, them pronouns. But again, I don't really care that much if you mess it up. So don't worry about it. Um, and yeah, I'm non-binary. I mean, that's pretty, much, that's pretty much me, I guess. I like to come up with a lot of ridiculous characters, so... That's what I just do in my free time. I do have a question Mm -hmm. for you. Are you okay with dude as a gender-neutral term? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Because chances are I'll probably call you dude. (laughs) 
since she's talking a lot anyway, um, we also have uh, my good friend Nikki on here. Uh, Nikki and I met uh, when I moved up to college, uh, and she was a part of my first college D&D group, um, third campaign now. Um, third. So I have to roll rounds with me as well. So, um, yeah, Nikki. Hello, I am Nikki. I am in college with Lauren. I've known her for probably the amount of time it takes to make a baby, if not longer, which is slightly terrifying. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I am probably one of the bigger memes in here. I mean, when I was first introduced to Egan, literally, I didn't introduce myself. I just posted memes. I tend to be kind of hyperactive sometimes sometimes i can't shut up so we'll see how this goes and we also have my roommate here um that pretty much goes without saying so um adrian hi guys my name's adrian uh i have he him pronouns and i promise i am neither a woman nor a gay porn star (laughs) i love you so much Oh, the noises you make. Um, oh my! This is the kind of thing I get to hear you sleeping. Um, <laughs> oh my! <laughs> oh shush! We're recording this for all to hear. Yes, we are. It just lets people get to know us better because if this isn't us, I don't know what is. <laughs> I think That's I've ever fair. had a quieter character than or quieter player than Egan at my table, which is why I'm just absolutely baffled that Aiden has stayed quiet this long. Um, so Aiden, how about you introduce yourself a little bit here? Hello, I'm Aiden. I use they them pronouns. And I wait my goddamn turn. Uh, Unlike me. <laughs> Excuse me. I think that was a call out towards me because you're right. I mean, I occasionally made small noises. All you people laughing and stuff. Is it unacceptable to laugh now? You can laugh now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Alright, and then I have already introduced myself in the little opening speech that's attached to this whole thing, but um, I'm Lauren Scully. Um, uh, She, her, hers pronouns... And I am your DM, your GM, whatever the fuck you want to call me. I don't want to do the whole Griffin thing and say I'm also your best friend, but, like, that's how you roll. That's how I roll, too, I guess. I'm definitely not a fish man for you to fuck. But, um... I am... That'll, that'll make sense later in this episode. Are you a fish recording man? This, recording this after the rest of the episode. Um, so, we kind of forgot to record this at first, so we are recording this in the postmortem of the episode, just kind of going through. Um, but this episode um, is more or less us going through and just devising the world. This isn't so much uh, character creation as it is world creation, coming up with factions, coming up with how this world kind of works, and settling on what exactly we want to do. Um, um, if that isn't really your thing, that's totally fine. I would just skip to the next episode if you don't like world creation, and that'll be character creation and probably official episode where a lot of things will probably be explained. But, um, if world creation is your thing, or if you just want to know a little more about our world before you start going through, this is a homebrew D&D campaign. Um, homebrew D&D campaign, but that was decided. Um, 
So it might behoove you to know a little bit just kind of walking in. But um, if we've got nothing else to say, then I think we can go ahead and get started. This is going to be such a professional podcast. Oh, so professional. So professional. Yeah. We are using a USB mic, and I've got two computers that crash often. Um, <laughs> and I'm using a laptop. As am I. As am I. We're going to be really strict to the rules in this. Oh, yeah, this I am the strictest here. GM. I oh, just sit here okay. and, like, stress about rules. I, I've read the rule book forwards and backwards several times. I probably read it the least out of all of you. Hey, but, hey, <laughs> don't call me out. Because I like to read the rule book, okay? You just like to know what you're doing, sweetheart. The memes. Um, alright. So, wow, if my computer could, like, not do that, that would be great. Um, so I know that I've talked to some of you about this. Um, I should stop. Um, I know I've talked to some of you about this, but I haven't talked to everyone about this. So, this first session is kind of going to be group world building um this was something that uh, egan actually brought up to me um as a possible way of verse it's more or less based off of uh what uh friends at the table which is another actual play podcast does um this with absolutely no assumptions and have high concepts for characters already figured out but um as we kind of go through this, I expect that those might change. Um, I know that I've heard one of your high concepts, and I fucking love it. Um, <laughs> um, I trust you guys with high concepts. I have no worries about y'all. So really you was should. probably going... Well... <laughs> <laughs> should. But, um... So probably what I expect is going to happen is we're going to go through... We're going to talk about this world for, like, an hour or two, um, and then at the end, um, assuming that your high concepts have survived uh, world creation, we'll go in and talk about high concepts and what system we're playing and stuff like that. Um, I am not completely dedicated to D&D at this point. Um, if we start talking about this and find that there's a system that works better, I'm totally down to do that. Um, and I'm even willing to put some money down on that if we decide that it's a system I don't own. Um, I don't want to do anything with uh, Tech Noir because that's where I'm taking some ideas for from Friends at the Table. Um, I'm cool with doing World of Darkness just because a lot of people have done that one. Um, I'd like to avoid Cosmic Patrol if we end up doing a sci-fi game. Anything else I think is fair game. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. So... I guess that kind of brings us to the first thing. So essentially, I'm just going to go through... I have a program on my computer that I use uh, to structure my worlds. And so I'm kind of going to go through some of those various things. And these are discussions. They're things that we're going to sit here and talk about. Um, and it's going to be something that our audience is going to hear. And probably not a huge deal. So, But bear in mind that there is someone listening. So um, assuming that... Our recording doesn't totally fuck it, um, but we'll see. Okay, cool. So I know that a lot of our talk had been about doing a fantasy world. Um, how committed are y'all to that? As long as there's some minor magic in there, I don't mind. Yeah. I really am not attached to anything. I'm willing to play whatever. I'm cool with anything. I prefer a little bit of magic at least, but other than that... Some magic in this setting, whatever we choose to do. When you guys are thinking magic, are you thinking high magic, low magic? Do I need to explain that stuff? I probably need to explain that stuff to listeners, don't I? 
Um, okay, so between um, high magic and low magic is the, well, actually, Harry Potter is a better example of a high magic universe where magic is kind of a day-to-day occurrence. It's something that, if not all, most people are aware of or sometimes everybody knows. Um, so these are kinds of settings um I guess that Harry Potter is a great example of this. Lord of the Rings is sometimes hailed as one or the other, um, but it's very, oh yeah, magic is this kind of daily piece of life, um, whereas low magic is closer to what I understand Game of Thrones to be, which is where magic kind of sometimes exists, but it's not this huge thing. Um, Both systems work pretty well in any kind of um, system that can be run in a fantasy RPG, so D&D actually has some great stuff for that. Um, If we wanted to do World of Darkness, my understanding is that um, it works well in there. Uh, Urban Shadows can be modified to work it. Um, Dungeon Crawl Classics is actually primarily low magic. Um, A couple other RPGs here and there could be utilized for that. Um, generally speaking, for examples, um, yeah, yeah. so I guess where are you guys kind of sitting on that? Because definitely when I think of a fantasy universe, my first inclination is to go high magic. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that would fit D&D better, especially like 5th edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, like most of the classes have some sort of magic in, in them, you know? Mm-hmm. Is there a way well, to do something like in between like magic magic, yeah like magic is common enough that everyone knows about it but not everyone has it like it's a difficult skill to learn kind of yeah not like any joe can have it but like people some people have it yeah that that, that makes sense or like 10 percent of the population has it something like that yeah like maybe we'll have like one you know village person who can do magic and they'll go to them for help oh maybe like like um you know maybe a village will have like one person that can do magic and they'll go to them for help or something but like there's not multiple people that can usually mm-hmm. i think we could do that um so it's not as pervasive as like magical items that like help around the house but they're everybody knows someone mm-hmm. yeah um so that kind of brings us to the world itself so um with that basis we're thinking fantasy world magic um medium to low um if, like what are you imagining in this world exactly? Like, what are you anticipating? What What are your thoughts along those lines? I want trees. Yeah, trees are kind of important. <laughs> trees are very important. I like trees. And a volcano. I really want I a volcano. I was just going to say a volcano would be great. <laughs> That's all I care about. Trees and a volcano. Trees and a volcano. I'm honestly okay with any, any kind of thing. I am not picky. Full. I was thinking, like, maybe some islands or something could make for, like, fun in-between arcs type stuff. Like, in one of the Narnia books, the island of Lilliput with the little one-footed little things that hop around everywhere. I was (laughs) thinking of, like, a larger Hawaii. Yes, that's what I was thinking of, too. (laughs) Okay, but tiny little creatures that hop around on just one foot and curse at you and try to beat you up. But okay. they can't do Narnia? <laughs> it's one of the Narnia books. It's um later on, so when it's like Lucy and Edmund and like no not Edmund. No, Lucy and Edmund and their cousin and their cousin's friend. Straight up thought that Lilliput was from Gulliver's Travels. <laughs> it might also be. I'm pretty sure C. S. Lewis took that from that. I don't know. 
Um, Googling things to prove people wrong on a podcast. Um, (laughs) me wrong. Um, (laughs) uh, okay, so kind of like a Hawaii type of thing? Yeah. Lens, sort of. Yeah, and then maybe like a mountain range on one so we can have like a little bit of difference in environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one can be like a foresty island, one can be a mountainous island. The mountainous island might even have a volcano. I can that. Maybe the main island will have a volcano just by itself. The main island can have a volcano and then like the mountainous island can have like snow and stuff. That. Um, I like that a lot. Um, so. Thing because we still haven't totally settled on a system, so we're still pretty free on this. What are we kind of thinking, like, inhabits these areas? Like, are we just thinking standard fantasy races? Are we thinking different series of humans? Uh, what's kind of your process is, like, every island would probably be owned by a different faction of people. That faction could be anything, though. Mm. But- I would say that the islands would function as, like... um there would be different indigenous races on each one, kind of like the foresty one would have like the elves, the mountainy area could have like the dwarves or whatever. If we're going to have those races, I don't even know because we're not running a particular system. So I don't know. I kind of like the idea of everybody kind of traveling through the islands, like a slight merchant system, but have definite main people on some islands. So like kind of a, there's like an economic line between them of some kind yeah chill um i don't think the orcs if there are orcs should have an island though because who the heck thinks an orc would be on an island drinking coconut milk in a, <laughs> in a grass skirt on a fucking <laughs> that sounds very good to me i'd love to I don't see know about that. you guys <laughs> that actually <laughs> wait, Can wait, it be wait. A nude beach? yes have it be a nude beach we have <laughs> new orcs everywhere drinking coconut milk out of actual coconut what if there's just what if there's like one island that has like all the you know orcs and like goblins and bugbears just like (laughs) um but like everybody like is really scared to go there just because they're like oh man it's the orc and goblin island but it's really just like a chill like a super chill yeah they're like this is the party island man like this is where you go to have a good time like legit hawaii where they just go to chill and hang out and everyone's terrified but it's the best taking care of island because there's no one else there to fuck it up and the orcs and the goblins are all just like yo this is nice yeah that sounds great yeah, but like all i can think of is that what you've just described is like the island version of mordor <laughs> <laughs> that's fair like we put the oh volcano God. on that island oh mount doom <laughs> <laughs> I mean, better orcs than Tolkien orcs, though. Let's be honest. Tolkien orcs are fucked up, but um, yeah. literally, it's canonical that Tolkien orcs are tortured elves. <laughs> like, yeah, tortured elves. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Tolkien, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> of having like an island that is largely full of the traditionally enemy races. I think that's interesting. Maybe it's kind of like um. Oh, in Australia, uh, Britain just, like, put all their prisoners there. And that's just kind of, like, how it ended up being like that, you know? A long okay, time ago. Well, everything's trying to kill you in Australia anyways, so... <laughs> oh, yeah. The island is trying to kill people. If it's a chill island. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, um, you know, maybe they were all just sort of exiled there, like, a really long time ago. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I can 
Well, and I like the idea of like doing the Australia thing where they like eventually just created their own civilization there. Yeah, right. And like almost having it be better than the places that originally sent them there. Like, mm-hmm. I want to get away from the idea of like orcs and goblins being these just like like really you know, terrible, terrible. And, yeah, yeah, like, tribal, like races, primitive almost. You know. Yeah, yeah. What um, kind of switch the social cast on its head? Like elves and humans and the stereotypically like good races are like the brutes and the assholes and the not nice people. Mm-hmm. The anthropologist here is enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, no, I really like that kind of switching it on its head. One of the things that I keep on coming back to in my head is, like, I love the idea of having these tropical islands, but I almost want to have them, like, if that magic thing home, what if the islands were literally floating? I love that. Oh, floating in the sky. Oh, that would yes. be awesome. Yes. And that really kind of drives home, like, this high magic trade system. Yes. Okay, I've been playing um, Subnautica a lot recently, and there's um, this one huh. island uh, in Subnautica that's, like, um, it's just, like, hoisted up by these really, really big, really buoyant sort of, like, uh, what is they're it, like, like sea urchin things? They just, like, stick to the bottom of it, and they're, like, really oh, buoyant, and they just lifted numbers. this big rock chunk up until mm-hmm. it was, like, island. I like that. Maybe, maybe there's, like, these creatures or something that, like, May- make it... Yeah. Than air somehow. Yes, and maybe, maybe, maybe people sacrifice people into the volcano to uh, appease the creatures, even though the creatures sure. probably don't even need appeasing in the first place. No, it's just superstition. <laughs> yeah. And I think that could create some really interesting levels too, because if the islands themselves are floating by various means, and we don't even need to restrict it completely to these animals in all cases, there could also be like levels of islands, like there are islands that are below other ones, and like all the way down to the ocean itself. Mm-hmm. And so there's like, but I'm kind of thinking like, um, not the good avatar, but blue people avatar. It's like, um, it's like <laughs> chest, but islands. Okay, but all I can think of when it comes to the islands on the ocean is just water world. <laughs> I mean, that sounds actually quite terrifying, but like, <laughs> that's where you could definitely have, if we're planning on having tritons in the world, just like the tritons be there and like everyone hates them because they're quote unquote mutants. And because they live in the lowest part of the world. Oh, oh, and probably humans too, because like humans generally, stereotypically, don't have a whole lot of magic. And I guess, like, kind of along those lines, a question that I have for y'all is: How far into our horror genres are we willing to take this? Because there's a really good Lovecraftian link you could do there. I would love, I love a good amount of horror in my fantasy. Me too. I'm all in. So up for it. I love horror. You know, we like being screwed over like mentally, right, Lauren? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So I guess like my thought right now is that we have these, just geographically speaking, we have these floating islands that they literally are able to fly and some inhabitants of this island are various intelligent species of humanoid, but the islands themselves are also leveled to a point that 
the lower you go, various races change, and there are things that change as you go down. And mm-hmm. so on these lowest levels, which I'm almost thinking are actually under the ocean, you have like Triton societies. Mm-hmm. And on the upper levels, you have things like Azamars and um, Tieflings and Dragonborns, things that in theory would be able to fly or have some kind of divine connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like like on the surface of the water is almost like like swans, you know, or like, you know, the really poor live. It's like dangerous to live down there, but they don't really have much of a choice. choice. And like, yeah, the rich live get to live in these way high up islands, and they get all their you know get everything they want basically. Very um treasure island or uh, treasure planet. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I I really like that a lot, and I frankly I just love the idea of flying boats, but yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, these great, uh, all these great um, galleons that can just fly in the sky. I fucking love that idea. <laughs> kind of talked about it a little bit, um, but I want to get a little more into it um, in talking about the various groups that inhabit these areas. And bear in mind that what we come up with here is largely going to inform what kinds of quests I come up with for our first session and what we kind of put together. And obviously that's also going to be informed by the system, which after we've kind of designed all this stuff we can go through and talk about the system but um i'm bored for this so let me who who lives where what does what because i also don't want this total like racial divide and like the orcs only live on orc island i you know or whatever we choose to call it because fantasy Mm -hmm. names um but like i also feel like there are some races that that behooves um especially in terms of like elves versus drow yes Mm-hmm. Bears and goblins versus wow, there's a fire engine outside of my home. Um, I feel like the orcs and like the mainly bipedal creatures. I mean, everybody's bipedal, but like you know, the mainly walk around on two legs, don't have any sort of winged attachments whatsoever or flying abilities. Should be on definitely the lower levels. I also think Orc Island would work better if you did have the ocean view. Yes, mm-hmm. and I also feel like. Orcs are a rather large race. It might be hard for them, depending on um, like the aircrafts they have to get them up to the higher levels. Mm-hmm. Almost like the idea of the orcs being the movers. Like, yes, there's Orc Island, but the orcs are also kind of... You know how there tends to be a stereotypical group um, in a lot of fantasy that's like, these people do the forges you know that tends to be the dwarves or the elves tend to be very much like these people have the arrows what if we kind of flipped the orcs and we were like the orcs are the drivers they are the people who are able to move between these islands the easiest because they've mastered that technology yes yeah that sounds cool Mm -hmm. i figure like that that could be like orcs or dwarves i think it'd be cool to see the orcs do it just because they, that gets disregarded or thought yeah, of as yeah, brutes. Yeah, they get snuffed a lot. We want to be different. We want to be cool. You want to be like the hip kids that are all inclusive. Also, how many like islands do we want? Yeah, what races? Because do we want? I think that's an important question. Because then it brings into question like. Are we going to compact some races into specific islands, kind of, and like give them like two, like a two island buffer, or uh, of there being like a lot of islands to the point that there are some that are still unexplored? Right. 
Yeah, there's yeah, that. This too. is kind of like of like some kind of exploration type of age over these islands. Like it's only been recently that there's been enough mobility, both through magic and technology, that people can actively go and find these islands. Oh, and prior I've... to now, it's been like a colonial export. Yeah, I feel like that would be such a great idea, especially because, like that would open a doorway for like us to encounter like some shocking things or whatever, because we, Uh. I honestly think that leaving things open about the world in that way will also give us um, a good place to start with storytelling, storytelling elements. So like, I guess one of my thoughts right now is that there could be like an adventurer's guild or like uh, this kind of old 1700s England idea of like, the Explorers Club, and that's very much something run by the rich, something run by maybe those who live on upper levels, or alternatively, something very much run by orcs, and that the orcs, because they're more or less outcast from more of this humanoid societies, have kind of ended up in a position where their best bet is to go exploring and to go find these things, and so it would be... I feel like this would be like a faction in here is these explorers. The I want to call them the movers. Hey, hey you know what mm-hmm. I love? What if, um, so, you know, the explorers guild really like prides himself on like, oh yeah, we've, we've discovered all these cool islands, but and like, we're, we're just the best explorers. But then the orcs are just like, yeah, we've already been to that island. <laughs> like, like they've already just been all over. Yeah, I feel they're, like the orcs should girl. be, yeah, yeah, the orcs should be like this, all like kind of an all-knowing body and they're kind of like i feel like they should kind of be separate from everybody else in the way that like everybody doesn't pay attention to them mostly because they're so far ahead of everyone else that everyone's kind of scared of them but but, like because they're so powerful like you have no choice but to kind of turn to them for aid like in order to explore these islands or whatever like you kind of owe it to them to give them attention. Because I was wondering what could actually be used as currency because the land islands are usually looked down upon. So wouldn't anything that comes from the land be looked down upon? I mean, there's the pretty shinies, obviously, but like... That'll be a reason why people are going to the land islands in the first place. Like, people aren't just going to go to a place that has absolutely no value, even if they devalue the place itself. Yeah, and then I think we also started talking about like bartering system for like the um economy of the world yes can't get past these flying ships i love that so much flying ships are great well i guess like what are we thinking in terms of like power structures here because like is this all one society is this some kind of feudal thing going on here i don't Mm. know if it would necessarily be feudal but it could be like set up in different actions almost like you have the explorers and you have the workers and then you have the hoity-toity people so i guess that would be kind of more of a hierarchy then wouldn't it yeah some kind yeah so like everyone kind of looks down on each other in a way which is sad but probably would end up happening i feel like yeah i but i feel like each race should have something like that they think, I mean, that they're definitely ahead of, like, the other people in, like, I feel like one of the races should have, like, the lore of what happened, like, if we're gonna go with, like, the Ruin idea of, like, all the races lived 
like in all of these like areas that are now being re-explored and like i feel like one of the races should have like the lore behind why they decided to like live together or something and i feel like you would have to like visit each race and i don't know i feel like that could be like the course of the campaign like you work with each race to obtain like a piece of information regarding like whatever and maybe there's like a treasure or something i don't know do you like the idea of like lost civilization aspects like kind of a fall of rome type of deal where tens of years ago the races were all spread out over these islands for one reason or another and now they're all condensed to this small section of the islands they like split up from each other anymore they're not totally segregated they're mixed but not so much so that some kind of caste system isn't recognized yes the idea of putting like Samar on the same level and um, saying that like on the highest of these islands and they are considered to be the top level of this and so you have like these half angels half demons that kind of run the hierarchy of the society almost that's pretty cool I can get behind that how many tiers could there be of islands? Because I know the Tritons would be like underneath the sea. And I think underneath the sea is where the Tritons should be kings or like the most knowledgeable because obviously no other race can really live underwater. Oh. Yeah. I don't know if we need to like define exactly how many. We could just have like, you know, the basic, like the big few factions. And then there'd be just a bunch of other smaller islands in between. Yeah. But, um, the one that I keep talking about is the movers, but um, and we've got kind of an explorer's guild type of idea going here. Definitely something to do with tritons. Um, what yeah. other kinds of major guilds, factions, governments are you guys thinking of here? Uh, I had one idea. Um, what if like we took sort of a Harry Potter direction with the goblins? And the goblins are kind of like like bookkeepers, like they keep knowledge, you know, like they've got a big, huge library somewhere and like they write everything down and try to write down the histories of. Yeah, so, you know, the so they're like archivers. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, ironically, I've used that with orcs before. Um, uh, of having the goblins be the archivists or the. Uh, that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, I like the idea of the goblins being archive or archivalists or historians. I just like yeah. the image of like a grumpy old goblin librarian who's like, "Hey, don't touch the books," you know. Or, yeah, I feel don't, like don't spill they, drinks on them. I feel like the archivist should probably be kind of like the policing force. Like with like whenever you go on a journey, like the explorers, of course, like are gonna go to the islands or whatever, and they're gonna get all this stuff. But like in order to come back like with the things that you bring from the islands you have to go through the archivers first because they need to log everything that you put back so they kind of are the like the archivers have gained this reputation over time that they're kind of like the police force or whatever and and i think that would be super cool to turn like goblins on their head because normally goblins are like not threatening that much um like in comparison to a lot of the other races but if you have like the goblins calling the shots, I feel like that would be really cool. Well, it's totally an aesthetic thing, but I love the thought of like used archive isn't necessarily books, but like stored memories and crystals and things like that. Yeah, I love and that. freaking awesome. Yes. 
on the idea is that like they can be lost and recovered maybe they're like almost like a computer chip honestly like maybe there's one of these crystals that had this knowledge on how to make roman concrete and now we don't know how to make roman concrete and it's a problem yeah and like maybe they're like the ancient civilization if we're gonna go there again like had rather than like crystals they have like magical scrolls or something and because they're written in the written word like and stuff like that like if you bring back a magical scroll or whatever like that now becomes knowledge and that can affect the world uh accordingly which I think would be interesting is if like, if you bring back certain items that it has some sort of effect, like that can change an Island. Yeah. Okay. But like the whole thought of like getting memories and bringing back memories and stuff that would work really well with my character concept. Uh, yeah, I think I could work off that too. I think we should totally do high concepts and okay. possibly direction, but we'll see what happens. There's a method I like to use for that. Um, so, Okay idea of the goblins being historians and even to an extent a police type force i almost see the goblins as like the most magical element of this like yes i definitely they are agree the with highest that. magic yeah i think I, th- I think that's a really cool idea of like don't have like a library but like a big memory bank you know where ah. they like where they can like deposit and store yes. memories and like which is funny with memories of other people that makes me think of dumbledore and his entire collection of um well and i i think one of the other things that keeps on coming to mind here and something that um adrian you keep on bringing up is this idea of there being some kind of lost civilization and i almost like the idea of this being like these islands were owned by i don't want to call it rome but like some kind of rome-esque civilization for a long period of time and what's now kind of happened is it's devolved back to something more like the holy roman empire and it's more of this kind of loose of these islands that have in many ways lost a lot of knowledge but in many other ways are now being controlled by that same knowledge and so when these new islands get explored, there are still people who... I figure this civilization would have had to fall 1,000, 1,200 years ago. Explored, there are still things like these crystals and these scrolls that can be read and brought back to these archives. So instead of the Library of Alexandria completely burning down, it's more of this level of if we want to. And that's yeah. a lot of what I think the goblins would work towards and... In many ways, that feeds back into what the orcs want, which is largely exploration and colonialism. Right. And I feel like the orcs would probably be the original, like, Rome Empire kind of thing. And they happen to find, like, the goblins or whatever who have, like, major control over these memory crystals. Um, And I feel like that would be where the first connection probably would be formed, is when those two groups join together and then they realize that they could unify everyone, um, whether it be giving them false memories with crystals or things like that. A lot. I really like the idea of false memories because that could be such an interesting power play right there. Yes, it, that's also what I was thinking, is that they not only are able to create crystals which can actually uh, recreate memories, but they, they can also... Um, change details about them and make them false so that when you go and revisit the history of the world they go and change it in their favor so everybody remembers a different 
version of history. And so it creates this kind of, I don't know, it, it creates this like hunt for the truth, like what, what really is true and what's not. Yeah, that's really cool. There's also a lot of there's also a lot of room here for unknown things and creatures and stuff like that. Like I guess one of the thoughts that I'm kind of having here is like dragons would be a huge problem in a flying island kind of society where you don't have to deal with sea monsters necessarily like you would if you were on watery islands 90% of the time. But instead of, like, sea monsters, you're dealing with literal flying dragons and waverns and drakes and things like that um, that just kind of patrol around these islands. And it kind of gives this very Beowulf feel to it in my mind. Yes, I definitely agree. I know someone who'd be absolutely in love with the idea of dragons in our world. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited already. (laughs) Also, just, like, think about... This whole thing takes place above, like, floating above. It's just, like, vast sea that, like, you know, almost nobody knows anything about except, like, the Tritons, maybe. I feel like that makes the Tritons this really kind of mysterious group of people. Like, I almost don't want the Tritons to have their own, like, civilization, but I want them to be a faction, like, something where they're... Right. Well, secretive, almost cultish knowledge yeah. of the yeah. ocean. I think, I think mm-hmm. the people above water know almost nothing about them and what's in the ocean you know okay. they just know that they're there they have airships why not water ships and it could be that if people want to ex- well they have to get from land island to land island so what if they use the tritons as a form of sea protection but they're like is a definitely more stoic more like i'm not going to give you all this information kind of people but they're still willing to help see i feel like they would they would protect the people from like on the lower islands from sea monsters for the price of being left alone entirely that they would not communicate with these other groups for the sake of keeping whatever is in the ocean a secret i for some reason the image that keeps coming to my mind every time you talk about like protection from the tritons and stuff like that is like the triton mafia like what if that's literally the triton's job is like it's almost this large mafia family that works as enforcement for various things some of which are powers of the above ground islands some of which are powers below that not even the asimars and the tieflings know about right maybe the tritons are like expert monster hunting i love the idea yeah i feel like that would be an excellent excellent concept and it would totally play a mafia thing that they have all of this access and because they've killed so many things they have all of this extra knowledge about how to like battle all of these things so that would also play into the dragon thing with that if you worked for the the mafia like it would be your job to defend against dragons and nobody would dare stand up against the mafia at all because that would mean that you wouldn't be protected from any of the dangers anymore and like the police force is only like really enforcing objects that you bring back in so if you're not an explorer and you're just living there like you have to live under the thumb of the mafia i think that's really cool because if like a dragon attacks your city you know you don't want to be on bad terms with the, with the tritons because then they'll just be like well sorry we can do yeah that was in our last campaign lauren <laughs> yeah 
Um, I also like that this kind of, it leaves a lot of open-ended things, like one really big plot hole that I don't really want to answer right now, because I think it'll be something that probably gets answered over the course of the campaign, is why haven't these islands resettled the old Romanesque areas? Why, why are these areas still in ruins, even thousands of years after their evacuation? Yeah, we definitely want to leave some questions unanswered. I, I really like that that's open there. Yeah. Um, are there any other factions, uh, things that you guys are kind of looking at? Dun, 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 dead air. No, I don't have any questions. Um, yeah, I well, I guess definitely the image that I'm getting at this point is some kind of steampunk, because steampunk has a lot of trappings to it, but it's almost like a steam fantasy kind of thing. Yeah, I think there definitely be some steampunk elements for looking at, like, oh, yeah. airships and... It'd be interesting though because like metal would probably be in short supply. Oh yeah, definitely would. Right, but you would have a lot of water to run like steam powered anything. And I think that would also be where the Tritons would get some of their power too, would be because that would be their most precious resource, would be the water to power all of these pieces of technology. Starting to wonder if the higher up you get on these islands, the worse off you are. Because, starting to sound like, is that the Tritons actually control most of everything? That between the Tritons and the Goblins, they are actually the most powerful? See, but I, I, I feel like it would be so much better if you had it seem like the Tritons were in this terrible, terrible situation. And everybody believed, even though the Tritons had so much power, they wondered why they wouldn't go live up on these, like, luscious, amazing sky islands. Like... And that would be the thing that would be the most confusing about them. But all the same, you you don't question it because they have this insane amount of power. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting because like it'd be interesting for the you know the really rich um, you know pompous assholes up on the higher up islands are like you know oh we're the best up here we're we we care for all the people. But really, like, none of the resources come from the higher up island. They just live up there, you know? Much yeah, like all, all, all the real resources. That because, like, the ocean. then if you live up there, you don't really have any, uh, like, economical trouble. Like, you can pay for all of the shipping fees and stuff like that. For See, and, and it makes me wonder whether we should have the higher islands even communicate with the lower ones. I like, feel like a lot up- of... Yeah. I feel like a lot of these dwarven explorers probably come from the higher islands. Getting back to their roots. Uh, and I almost I'm not totally sure where your characters fit in here yet. I almost feel like allowing contact between those higher islands, even minimal contact, allows a little more freedom in where your characters actually fit into the storyline. Yeah. I feel like maybe it's just like limited contact, you know. Like they'll they send messages down to the people living below occasionally. And usually it's just talking about like I mean and it comes- Yeah. It could also just be hearsay that the higher islands are better than the ones that are lower. Like I mean, it could be possible that one of the lower islands is just so terrible that the people that live there just want to believe that the islands that are above them are better so that they can work toward going to a better place. Yeah, maybe these aren't questions we should answer right now. Well, yes, that's true. And these will definitely be things that we answer over the course of the campaign. And that's like the other reason why I kind of wanted to do this is because I knew questions like this would come up. And this helps 
I'm going to start writing it. Uh-huh. But yeah, the point of this is just like to set up the world and then then you write the, oh, you know, the story totally. and instead of everything else. But with these yeah, higher like, up, we're not trying to my thought of these higher up islands is something to the effect of like Persephone and Firefly or a New London or Londinium, I think it's Londinium, mm-hmm. um, where the inner rim of these planets, um, and God, it's been a couple years since I've seen Firefly and I can't seem to remember the language they used, but um, the inner planets were very from the outer planets. And these outer planets, while they had a coalition, had a lot more contact with each other than they did the inner planets, even though the inner planets technically owned the outer planets. Mm-hmm. It's very analogous to what we're saying with these upper islands and the lower islands, is that, yeah, they're all a part of the same governing body, there's definitely some contact between them, but there's a lot less contact between them than there would be between themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's cool. I can't I can't think of anything else that we'd want to... I have a couple about. other things that I just want to bring up before we start getting into uh, putting characters in here. Mm-hmm. Um, biggest concerns, and I don't know if this is something we necessarily need to answer, but it's something that I at least want some discussion about. World. Um, and fantasy worlds tend to take kind of one of three approaches to how they handle their religious themes. A lot of fantasy worlds take the concept that gods are very active, that they definitely exist, and they are definitely involved. This is very similar to what... Um, Tolkien doesn't do this as much, but uh, C.S. Lewis does this, where the god in his universe, Aslan, is very active in his universe and has direct influence. Um, And to see is like, there's some indirect influence, but there's rarely direct influence, but the gods are real and there is definitely enough evidence to prove that. And that would be like the Tolkien approach with the Istari and um, Sauron. Um, you know, that, that whole thing that encompasses an entire franchise. Um, <laughs> but, um, the third approach, then, I think would be closer to the Belgariad, where they, or they're gone, one of one or the other, that they have absolutely no influence on the world, whether they exist or not, and that there's, if there's influence, it's only directly done through prayer. Yeah. I, mean, I guess, like I'm curious what your take is. Honestly, just sort of disconnected yeah i think that the third option would probably be a very interesting route to take especially because it brings up that question is the reason that they weren't able to recolonize the like the reason that the gods left or did the gods leave and then the this empire somehow became unable to repossess these things or whatever and yeah i i think i i like keeping that question or having that question be expanded a little bit into the religious area um that also does bring up um are we planning on distinguishing between divine entities and demonic entities so a lot of i mean especially catholic literature um tends to list you know, demons in the same league as fallen angels. And that very much brings back to that kind of presence. Are we doing the same kind of multi-planar universe where exist separate from gods or are demons directly connected to gods or what's the deal here? And again, this isn't necessarily something that has to be answered. It's just something to think about, um, especially if tieflings and azamar are definitely a thing yeah i think it'd be interesting if the lines were kind of blurred a little bit you know like yeah i feel like clear if it's a demon or a god 
Yeah, yeah. I feel like that would definitely be like a good option, especially if we're planning to take the route of the gods cannot be contacted without like direct connection through prayer. And even when you do pray, you don't really know whether what you're going to get, like, are you going to get like the God that you're actually trying to like connect with, or are you going to get something else? Okay. Okay. Leaves it open to these very mercurial gods that don't necessarily give a shit, which is again, very Lovecraftian. Yeah. I'm like, gods aren't always helpful to the people. Demons aren't always hurtful. You know, like that blurred morality line too. Yeah. Very Hellboy. There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of open mm-hmm. Holy see this world just going full Guillermo del Toro by the end of it, and I'm a little nervous. Um, but... Down with <laughs> I promise not to sleep with a fish. Yeah, we've already <laughs> got canonical fishmen in this world, so... <laughs> like, we have canonical That's fishmen, amazing. we have gods that don't necessarily care, we have demon people. Literally... We could theoretically have giant mech battles with aliens. Like, that's not something that we have to completely write out now. Um, (laughs) I mean, some of the islands are pretty close to the atmosphere, you know? You know? And, I mean, especially if the aliens come from under the water, like... Oh, (laughs) that would be wild. Oh, God. Can we just just play mech noir now (laughs) and then do a Pacific Rim world? Honestly, like... I'm kind of, like, not for this, obviously, but I am so fucking down for that at some point. I yeah. might go off this call and buy Mechnor. Um, but, <laughs> because Why? I've been listening to for a day, and I'm fucking in love with the system, and I'm like, goddamn, yeah. okay. Um, we have a really good basis here, and obviously I'm going to go through and probably things, because we need good fantasy names here. But, um, thing that I want to talk about before we really start talking about characters is how do we... What, what system do we want to do this in? Because this is very much a fantasy system. It's a high magic fantasy system, so I'm going to cut out Dungeon Crawl Classics to start. Um, which I think, Egan, you've played that one with me. Um, I think I played it like once. Classics is good for some things, but this would not be it. Um, my understanding is that Dungeon World does a good job with fantasy stuff like this. Um, Especially if we're looking to do more of a question-based campaign than, well, not question-based, but like investigation than combat. Um, D&D or Pathfinder, I would prefer to do D&D if we do either of those, but um, D&D obviously has the most basis in terms of some of the terms that we've been utilizing, but I think it gives us less freedom in magic. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, I think the world we've made would lend itself pretty well to D&D. But I think I think maybe we could do D and D, but like incorporate you know some of the some aspects of Dungeon World and stuff like that, as far as um you know characters in the world and uh, all that sort of thing. I mean, one of my favorite things that you tend to do, Lauren, is you tend to kind of mix different play styles together to kind of get the ideal thing for the world you're in. Listeners who've never played with me, which will probably be most listeners if things go well, um, what I tend to do, I have. Um, I've played a lot of RPGs at this point and run a lot of RPGs, and so I like to go through and take my favorite rules from different RPGs and splice them into whatever I'm doing. Um, the best of all worlds, if I can. Um, and this is something that all of my players are familiar with, that I do this all the time. Um, I could definitely do that with D&D and work it out so that there are levels of that. I also almost feel like we shouldn't necessarily limit us limit ourselves to one system if it turns out that like 
10 episodes into a D&D campaign, it works better in Dungeon World after that or something like that. Like, yeah. I definitely agree with that, that we could switch systems if it came to that. And I don't know, um, Egan, I know you had talked about doing some spin-off sessions, and I've kind of been running with that idea in my private time, um, with like doing spin-off sessions in different RPGs with guest players. Mm-hmm. Having it be like, you know, maybe after a major arc turning point or something like that, we can totally go through and be like, okay, and now we're going to take a break and do Mouse Guard, you know, which yeah. <laughs> a game that's essentially Redwall the RPG, but it's based off of the comic Mouse Guard. Um, the same universe, it would just be something completely unrelated, done in a completely different system with completely different players, um, just for the hell of it. And like, obviously, you guys could also be involved in some of those, but it would largely be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go find some people from old groups of mine and be like, hey, do you want to come play, like, Savage Worlds for a day? <laughs> like, I've got this yeah. thing, and you're going to be published for it. You in? You know, like, something like that. Yeah, um, we, we can work all this stuff out later, too. But I think, like, what we should take from it is that, you know, let's be flexible, and once we figure out our play style, we can, you know, adjust again. So I think at this point... I, I like the idea of starting with D&D just because it's... What and that's pretty much it's the most popular RPG, you know. So like, it's going to be more accessible to more people. It's a lot more accessible. It's something everybody has heard of. Like everybody's heard of D and D, but not a lot of people have heard of Mouse Guard or any of the other ones you've named. Half of you haven't played them, so exactly. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I mean, even before I played D and I've known of D and D since I was a little kid. Yeah. Um, Okay, so totally consent, whatever the word that I'm looking for would be, just to totally settle on this, we're going to start it in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I want to start this as a level zero because there's going to be probably a 30-minute, hour-long session of us just doing character introductions. Um, so that'll be separate from what we're about to do, which is just high concepts and going through, like, how are we actually going to work this? What are we actually thinking here? With all of that in mind, let's go ahead and talk about high concepts a bit. So to the audience that may not know what high concepts are, these are things that are the simplest way to put a character. So if we're playing D&D, that would be something like, I'm a dwarven cleric, or I'm a bard, but Tom waits. Um, so I'm going to use that as my example every single time now, Egan. Um, <laughs> That's fine. I don't know if I'll ever get to play that character, so we'll see. You do, because... My girlfriend and I were driving down I-25 when you sent me that, and she read that to me, and I nearly crashed. I was laughing so hard. Um, <laughs> I'm glad. That was such a great concept, and I was like, fuck, I want it. Okay. Um, but yeah, so um, these are pretty simple. Um, full high concept, that's kind of also what this time is for. It's meant to help workshop it. So, Egan, you have the most fleshed out high concept in any room. So, do. who are you? Or who are you going to be? Okay. Um, my character is a goblin wizard named Cicero. Um, C-E-R-O? It's, uh, yeah, C-I-C-E-R-O. Cicero. Like the, like the philosopher or whatever. <laughs> or Skyrim. Cicero. Yeah, or Skyrim. Oh, shit. <laughs> or, you know, thank you! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why are they somebody making a Chicago joke? Just about to. Right, anyway. Um, yeah, so I'm a goblin wizard named Cicero. Um, Cicero really likes to um, uh, basically just like figure out how stuff works and like experiment with stuff. And they, they just do that 
all the time anytime they see something new um let's see what else i think based off of what we were thinking of with the goblins um cicero probably was um you know grew up with the goblins and was going to become one of the librarians but like i think they don't like um learning based off of just memory they're not like really good at like remembering specific details of things so they probably like um they like to write things down so they they sort of like went out into the world to like figure out or you know just see the world and how all all the world works and um they've got like this big spell book full of just random you know pressed leaves and a bunch of random stuff it's just a mess but like you know it works for cicero and um let's see but yeah, Cicero is also blind, but they have like this big pair of um like brass goggles with like just a bunch of lenses on them and they like move independently like um like chameleon eyes. But the their magic that and they allow Cicero to see the Cicero made them uh themselves. So is Cicero it. like really blind or is Cicero like blind blind, like literally can't see shit? Goggles like are they just like lenses or are they like magical lenses that make sight actually appear oh that they're magical they're like yeah okay. they actually make those you can't you definitely can't see like it's not even like a blurry vision down the highway yeah, like i don't think so i don't know how they lost their vision i didn't really think about it but... we'll find out yeah sister also um it's like wears clothes that's just like full of pockets full of random stuff they find interesting um and like uh i think their wand is just like a like a screwdriver just like a big long breath screwdriver. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I love the idea of your wand being like a fucking sonic screwdriver. Like <laughs> <laughs> Um, cool. I love that. That's awesome. Um and that works really well given what we just talked about. Um is regarding Cicero besides me? Nope. Who wants to go next? You don't have to be as detailed as mine. I put a lot of thought into mine already, as I always do. <laughs> I guess I'll go next because I have some sort of idea. I was going to be an orc sorcerer. Whose name is Re. <laughs> is that R H I or R E E? R H E E. Because because their catchphrase is I am Re! Hear me scream! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Fuck's sake, Nikki! Climator. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Uh yeah, I am not a hundred percent sure how she got her um like powers because she's going to be a shadow sorcerer i'm trying to figure out where the heck something that dark and terrifying could go but since she's an orc she's also an adventurer so she probably found it while adventuring and discovering new places so um for reference for the audience um shadow sorcerer is um or shadow is a subclass of sorcerer from the uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Um, the way that Dungeons & Dragons works with classes is that there are things like Wizard, Rogue, etc., etc. Um, and we can definitely go into those later if we want. Um, we'll probably do that in the first episode and just talk about those real quick. Um, rule by rule play here. But um, <clears throat> the subclasses are kind of the things that help make them a little more unique. They um, are things like if you're a ranger, you're not always going to be Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. Sometimes you might be a monster hunter. Sometimes you might be a dual-wielding like that. Um, So Shadow Sorcerer is just another division of sorcerers. That's pretty much all I got. I'm really enjoying the fact that we made the orcs the explorer people because that's just going to be fun. It's gonna be freaking fun. But yeah, that's well, like, I have. It'll be cool with your background as well. It really would. 
it would that ex- during our level zero session. All right. Two really hard ones to follow. Who wants to go next? I'll go next. <laughs> so my character is a rogue fallen Esmer. Asmar. Okay. And um, her name is Lydia, as in like Skyrim Lydia. And she suffers from short-term memory loss. I'm sorry, What did, do you have a class picked out yet, or is that something that you're still working on? Rogue. I like that. All right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that that would also be really cool. The whole idea of a fallen Asmar from if you literally fell. Um, <laughs> um, so Adrian, that leaves you. Um, you know, I'm actually thinking of being a gnome paladin. Ooh, that's cool. You know, I'm really trying to figure out how I'm going to fit the whole paladin thing when we don't want gods, um, except I, for prayer. I think that you could totally work out the paladin thing as, like, you... Because, like, there's no proof in the real world that any god actually exists, and there are still people who fight on the behalf of those gods. So you could totally argue that you're, like, a Catholic crusader, but, like, not Catholic... Um, like right. some Lumbarian Crusader or something that's like, mm-hmm. hey, let's fucking fight it up, you know? Like, mm-hmm. God, even if your God doesn't necessarily exist, maybe you believe they do. I mean, I don't know. I feel like because I because of the like gnome subrace that I'm thinking of taking, um, they get like some sort of like tinkerers like proficiency or whatever. So I actually think that I'm gonna have them attribute it to like. They're going to have these, like, pieces of technology, and they're going to be like, technology, do this thing. But it's not actually going to be technology. It's going to be some sort of divine power, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Um, and do you have a name, Mr. or Mrs. Gnome Paladin? Yes. It's Alston Botanik Zukwirian Nostradamus Postradia. You cut out halfway through. That's just perfect. <laughs> Um, I'm going to have you change your own fucking nickname on Discord, you gnomish bastard. <laughs> okay, I will change it to gnomish bastard. Why do paladins always have, like, ridiculously long names? It's not even a it's, fact that there are paladins. I mean, my other gnome character, Lauren only knows one name for it, but I have a whole bunch of names. I'm just waiting until somebody asks my character their name. Oh, shit. Or how my good. old name used to have like seven different things attached to it. Oh yeah. My family are gnomes. <laughs> yeah. I mean I've also like every paladin character I've seen has had a very long name also. Cool. Um so just kind of moving forward with kind of the end of this thing. Um oh if we really want to go through because obviously none of you guys have I mean you have some clear connections and maybe working with orcs. Uh, stuff like that. Um, but I think those are all things that are better figured out in session um, or in level zero than they are. Yeah. I think that it would behoove us to give me some time to write out some ideas and plan some things. So I think that's a really good place for us to stop for the night. That's fine with me. Are there any questions? Nope. Working Title is produced and edited by Red Scare Productions. More information can be found wherever you get your podcasts. The Dungeon Master for this arc is Lauren Scully. Players include Egan Walker, Nikki Spanapankowitz, Aiden DeMoral, and Adrian Clark. Music is written and performed by Gabe Castro. Gabe Castro can be found at gabecastro.bandcamp.com. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we hope to see you back at our table.